as a big fan favorite sentimental here, I'm going to put a, a fat C note on Roxy. Let me ask you an important question here. Uh, what the hell is a C note? Hundred dollars. Come on, baby. Okay. No, I like it, Nick, Nick. I wish I would have been smooth enough to not have to ask that question, but I am not that man. I was Jesus, born in the Soviet you... goddamn. This is my third, maybe fourth language, Nick. You grew up in Queens, man. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is Stan Drive here with Nick Braccia, my co-host. We're here to break down and discuss this weekend's upcoming UFC. And we're also going to go over the Aspen Lad versus Jermaine Durand in the UFC. Uh, later on, we're going to talk about our bets. Actually, both Nick and myself hit pretty big this week and, and had some success in that regard. Nick, how are you this week, buddy? You know, I'm doing okay, Stan, but I'm a little bitter that you apparently defeated me via ridiculous tiebreaker again. Uh, so I feel like I'm losing without actually losing. But, you know, maybe now that I'm down two, I'll be able to turn it around, pick up some momentum, and kick your ass on my picks for UFC on ESPN4, Dos Anjos versus Edwards. But, uh, yeah, I don't think I'm going to be that friendly anymore. I, I feel pretty confident that you will still feel this way, like like all <laughs> these losses are going to accumulate. And I'm going to be like six or seven up, and you're still going to say, I feel like I'm losing, but I've never lost. And, and you're going to do that trash talk thing, which I'm not going to lie. It, it works. It's a little bit intimidating. But I've been able to perform through it the last couple of weeks, and I think I'm going to keep that going, Nicola. I love, I love how it's intimidating, but you could probably TKO me with a glare. <laughs> I, I, could, I could not TKO you with a glare. It would take... It would take a sledgehammer from behind, Nick. Uh, you can say whatever you want. You strike me as a particular <laughs> tough guy. I, I could see you having a Mark Hunt quality to you when it comes to taking punishment. You trying to say I'm fat, Stan? I, I was actually going for really hard-headed. Well, I, was hope, I was hoping you were going to suggest that I was Samoan, which would be awesome, but I'm not. 100%. Uh, to, be, to be in the same tribe as The Rock and Mark Hunt, I mean, what more could you ask for in life? Not, not much. Not much at all. So a pretty good UFC last week, actually. Didn't have a whole lot of names on it, but turned out some pretty decent fights. Some pretty solid prospects came through and looked good. Uh, some, a couple of veterans came through, uh, such as Uriah Faber, which was pretty exciting to watch. What did you think of that main event finish with Jermaine Durandamy landing a big right hand on Aspen Ladd? I think it was the first punch that she threw. And Ladd just sort of fell over, was on all fours for a second, was turned over by Durandamy's kind of body shot. Uh, that didn't quite land, and then her being came in and stopped it. What did you think of the stoppage there, Nick? I thought it, I thought it was a little early. Um, that said, the way that Jermaine Durandamy looked, I, I have a feeling Lad was going to get pieced up uh, on the feet, but I still thought that uh, the fight could have gone on for a little bit longer. Not the absolute worst stoppage I've ever seen, but I do wish that Aspen Lad had had had. had a little bit longer um, to fight, particularly after she had such a dreadful weight cut uh, that saw her sh like shaking uh, a lot um, and needing extra assistance to get to and from the scale. Um, so rough, rough weekend for her. She seemed okay in the cage afterwards. I'd like to, uh, I'd like to see her get back on the horse pretty quickly. It was a very nice right hand. Yeah, it really was a solid right hand, and really that's what she's known for. She doesn't really throw a whole lot of kicks for fear of takedowns, and 
her takedown defense is excellent. I mean, I, I think she hadn't been taken down in over 20 of the last times that people tried to take her down and fought some decent competition on the way there. So it, it's saying something. I do think the wake-up may have been a factor, and that's one of the downsides of making our official picks not after the weigh-in but, but before, is that we don't get to get that kind of insight, which can really make a difference. I'll be honest with you, I saw the Jermaine Durandamy fight against uh, Rock, Rocky Pennington, and I didn't pay enough attention to that fight in, in the, in the lead-up to UFC and ESPN plus 13 last week. And if I had, I would have comfortably picked Durandamy because, man, she really did look good. Pennington isn't a bad fighter at all. She's pretty good. Holly Holm is a pretty good fighter, too. And both of them fell to Durandamy one way or another. It was by decision in those cases, of course. But Aspen Ladd, man, just planted and, and taken out of there in the first round. I do think it was an early stoppage, Nick. I think that Herb Dean is a fraction of the referee that he used to be, unfortunately. He's average at best now, where, uh, you know, every two or three events, he's going to have a bad move. I actually thought that this event started with a bad decision and ended with a bad stoppage. Sucks for Aspen Ladd, but she will come back. And you know what? She wasn't knocked out clean. She's a young lady. She has a lot ahead of her. I wonder if she'll have to move up to 145 now. Who do you think uh, should Durandamy fight next, Nick? Hmm. Uh, 135. I, I, it's a tough one because Nunez has done such a nice job uh, cleaning out that division. I think... Huh. I guess I'd, I guess I'd like to see her fight... Um, fight Nunes. I wouldn't mind um, I wouldn't mind her having a rematch with Holly Holm at, at 135 just because I thought their fight was very good and, and closely contested. Um, what about you? I think Jermaine Duranemi should fight Amanda Nunes next. That's her last loss. Who has a first, yeah, first round TKO. Um, right. Yeah, I think why not, right? There's not, there's, there isn't you know, I'd watch, I'd watch the fight. I don't know that I, I don't know that I'd pick Durandamy, but I'd uh, you know I'd, she'd have uh, she, she'd have a chance. She's she's very skilled if she could keep her uh, keep Nunes off her. But I, I think I would probably still pick Nunes comfortably. At this point, I am convinced that there's not another person in that weight division that has a shot against Amanda Nunes besides Jermaine Durandamy. She has a a decent shot, considering that. As far as we know, as far as everybody that she stood up with in the UFC thus far, she's been the better striker. And not by a small margin, by a lot. She's in a different league. And it's not that she's just lighting people up and running through them. It's that she avoids almost, almost all damage and lands some pretty clean shots. And she has wins over number three, Holly Holm. Number four, Aspen Ladd now. Number five, Rocky Pennington. It's quite a resume of just three top five wins. As a matter of fact, Amanda Nunes only has two top five wins in the division at this point. Jermaine Durandamy has more of them. So I would say it's Amanda Nunes or bust for her, but I wouldn't be surprised if Amanda Nunes decides to defend her 145-pound belt instead and fight the winner of that Chris Cyborg-Spencer fight. Again, I think Jermaine Durandamy has a decent shot against Amanda Nunes, and I think she has a decent shot against Chris Cyborg. It's a shame she didn't have the gall to fight her. Yeah, I'm curious to see if she, if she goes after Nunes at 135 or 145 first. Um, regardless, an, an interesting and, and talented fighter. In the co-made event, we had Ricky Simone um, looking pretty good for a little, a little twitchy, uh, a little anxious, but um, landing some hard shots against Uriah Faber until he, he ran smack into a, an overhand right. 
um, and some quick, quick, uh, you know, a quick scramble and ground and pound. Um, and Faber in 46 seconds got it done. Yeah, I think partially the issue here for Ricky Simone was that those odds came to his head. I think he thought that he needed to dominate and just kind of blow him out of the water and made himself susceptible to a big right hand by Uriah Faber. I mean, Uriah Faber's finished a lot of fights by landing a huge right hand and then finishing with a choke shortly after. In this case, he didn't necessarily need to go to the choke. He was able to TKO him. This one also had some people questioning whether it was an early stoppage. I don't remember thinking so at the time, Nick. Did you have a problem I, with this one? Yeah, I thought I thought it might have been a little a little bit early. You know, Faber looked like he was holding Simone down and, and hitting him with some not very hard shots, and Simone looked like he was trying to get up because as soon as as soon as the referee stopped it, I can't remember who it was. It was Josh Rosenthal who's back in there now, um, after after getting out of jail, but. Uh, um, Simone looked like he popped right. He, you know, he popped up. He seemed frustrated. It's uh, it's a tough one. I mean, Faber Faber certainly clocked him and was was working hard to pound him out and kind of just overwhelmed him into TKO rather than I think hurting him. But that first right hand certainly uh, did its job. Yeah, no doubt. Simone put himself in a bad position. Uriah being a veteran hurt him. And look, if you look back at Uriah's fights, he he never looked bad. I think. A lot of us made the mistake of conflating him with some of the veterans that have looked pretty terrible. And he's not that guy. He, he looked good on his way out against Brad Pickett, basically dominated that fight. You know, a competitive ho-hum decision loss to Jimmy Rivera and, and a decision loss to Dominic Cruz on the way out. Like, that's not really a whole lot to be ashamed of. And there's a lot of guys in the division that would have lost to uh, the 2016 versions of Jimmy Rivera and Dominic Cruz. He looks pretty bad in the Barrow fights, which does, which is not a good look, uh, you know, after the fact. That's true, but that was back in 2014. I mean, it's it's been a while since since. And you know what? That also uh, a Herb Dean messed uh, a Herb Dean bot stoppage. I don't know if you remember, but I right do. Here. I remember Faber with the thumbs up. Yep. Right, right. That's another one that Herb Dean messed up, and and I think we should also factor in that Ben Askren UFC debut against Robbie Lawler. Herb Dean is a fraction of the ref that he already was. I know I said it before. I'm saying it again. And, yeah, Uriah Faber did his thing. It's great to great to see him have a success. I think it would suck if they set up a Uriah Faber-Henry Cejudo matchup. Oh, yeah. That's completely unfair um, to, to, to Sterling. It's yep. um, <laughs> it's unfair to Benavidez. I, I think Faber should needs one or two more victories over top, top competition before he gets, uh, before he gets Cejudo at 135. Unfortunately, Dana and the gang get to make the decisions, and I predict that that is probably the, the matchup they will set up. I think it's the biggest money fight for Henry Cejudo. There's a reason he called Faber out uh, on the off chance that Faber might pick up the victory here. And, yeah, Faber's no fool. Like I think a lot of us underestimated how bright he is and how he probably wouldn't put himself into a terrible situation in which he looks bad, uh, even though he had already retired from the sport on a win. He did his thing, man. Uriah Faber uh, on top again. Good for him. I don't want him getting a title shot. I, I think maybe Uriah Faber can he, – he can mess with some of those top 10 guys at 135. I don't think he should be fighting the champ. Unfortunately, I think that's what they're going to set up, and it's going to suck for a lot of those guys. Um, I, I certainly wouldn't complain if Uriah fought maybe a Peter Yan. I actually think it's a winnable fight for him given how Peter Yan looked in his last bout. Uh, uh, Pedro Munoz, a, uh, maybe a – Corey Sanhagen, um, I think they should keep him fighting prospects because 
if he beats him, you know, it won't be the worst thing for the prospect. But if the prospect beats him, that we've got a we've got a big star and maybe a, a title contender coming up. So I think there's some value there. I, I don't know that we're going to gain anything out of seeing him fight somebody like Rafael Sunsau or Pedro Munoz, um, Jimmy Rivera. Like, let's get him in there with some young guys. And I would give him two top twelve, two top twelve guys, and then Dillashaw. That's the oh, that's I'd much rather I'd much rather watch that. Yeah, if he's going to stick around long enough to uh, to wait for Dillashaw to come back from his suspension, I'm 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 open to that as well. Um, if he I, wins two fights and then beats Dillashaw, fine, give him a shot at Cejudo if Cejudo still has the strap. Oh yeah, I mean that, that's ages from now. The guy would probably be forty two. Yeah, that's, that's twenty. Now. That's twenty twenty two. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how realistic it is, but who knows? Maybe maybe uh, TJ well, Dillashaw. He looks, he looks twelve, so maybe. He, he, he does he does look young. He actually had a pretty good line in the post-fight show, which I caught a little bit of. He basically said, Dana, you know, going out there and saying that I'm old. He was like, Dana might have been old at 40. Heck, Dana was old at 28. Look at me. Uh, and uh, I, I thought that was pretty awesome by Uriah. Um, a good win for him. We've got a few, a couple more important ones to discuss on this card in particular, Nick. Uh, a really, really nice win for Josh Emmett. A first-round knockout over... Otherwise, a serious prospect, Mirsav Bektik. You and I called this one. This one was one that uh, a lot of sharps had had a pr- had trouble with. Even though we whiffed on the Durandamy pick, uh, I, I think we did a pretty good job of, of seeing this one coming. Josh Emmett's power and the fact that Mirsav Bektik was hurt by much, much lighter punchers and Darren Elkins and Chas Skelly in his UFC debut that actually almost knocked him out. Mirsav Bektik going up against the hardest hitter at 145 this is this was the likely ending yep it may i thought it was going to happen around later but it it uh emmett got it done just as we predicted then there were a bunch of mediocre fights carl roberson won a uh, a close close decision against wellington terman marvin vittori beat uh cesar fajaya by decision overwhelmed him john <laughs> allen on short notice made Mike Rodriguez look kind of silly in a fight that Rodriguez was uh, was heavily favored, the most heavily favored fighter on the card. We all thought that Rodriguez was going to knock him out in the first, and it just didn't happen. Yeah, the only other fight of John Allen that I saw, he did really well in the first round and then got exhausted in the second and was finished. So I didn't expect him to be able to keep up the pace. And Mike Rodriguez, when he lands on guys, they drop. And he wasn't able to land much here. John Allen was clearly the better stand-up fighter. You can tell because he was a shorter guy, and he's still outdid him. Also, he took him down almost at will. Mike Rodriguez will have a lot to work on. I hope he moves to a better camp, quite frankly, with all due respect to Joe Lozano and the crew. I think he's got serious power and serious talent. It would be a shame to see it wasted on a mediocre camp. There were three really solid fights in a row here that I, I was entertained by all of them. Andre Touchy-Feely against Shimon Moraes. Moraes went exactly as, as we predicted. Moraes was looking to plant and throw. He gets into kind of that Tiago Alves style of of heavily muscled kickboxer and he's really he's really good at it but we we predicted that feely the way that he mixes things up the way that he chains together techniques and he's he's unpredictable he's creative um he's also fluid and he beat up Moraes pretty quickly and got the tko uh it seems like the kids developed some real pop and I wasn't too impressed with him when he was early in his Team Alpha Male prospect career, you know, going back uh, probably four, five years. But he's really won me over his last couple of fights. I think he's much, much improved. 
Yeah, Andre Philly had a breakout performance. Shaman Rise is a really respected fighter. A lot of sharps picked Shaman. We got this one right as well. Like a really, really good pick by both of us. He looked really good. He has been improving that. His jab has been flowing so much better in the last couple of years than it has in the beginning of his career. He's gotten more muscle on, so he's hitting harder. He's more explosive. Um, that Michael Johnson split decision, a lot of folks thought that he deserved it, and that was really his only legitimate loss in the last couple of years. Yeah, he jabbed uh, he jabbed Michael, Miles Jury uh, to yeah. victory, right? Yeah, yeah, he did. He, he basically dominated that fight. So good on him, man. He, he's going to be due for a top 10 uh, opponent here. Uh, who would you like to see him against? I'm looking at uh, Jeremy Stevens, maybe a Yair Rodriguez fight next. I think those two matchups could be fascinating. He certainly yeah. should make it into the top 15 after that one. Well, he fought – He remember, he fought Yair Rodriguez and got a highlight reel KO'd by a, uh, a jumping switch kick. Yes, that was a and, – and that's why I'm curious to – I actually didn't realize that they had fought when I first mentioned it. I'd love to see them play that back. I would love to see it too because since then, Yair Rodriguez got handled once and he was close to losing a decision once. So like his – uh, feeling of invincibility is no longer there. And Andre Feely is quite the opposite. His trajectory has come to a much better place. He's now seen as a very serious prospect. Uh, so very different mindset from Feely as well at this point, I would imagine. So that would be fascinating as well. Um, Juliana Pena did her thing and out-hustled Nico Montana, who seems to have gotten tired as the fight went. As usual, Pena lost the first round and then took over. It's actually exactly how I saw the fight happening. Ryan Hall came through with a pretty dominant victory over Darren Elkins. Actually, not the Weird down. fight. Weird fight. Yeah, Hall, it usually is with Hall. But he threw, I mean, he was throwing spinning, <laughs> spinning back fists, spinning kicks, wheel kicks, question mark kicks. He was, and he was landing all this stuff on Elkins, who must have just been so terrified of the, what's the technique called again? Uminari roll? Uminari roll, that's right. Uminari yeah. roll. I'm like the umami roll. The yeah. Uminari roll. Um, the delicious Minari roll. Um, it didn't. He didn't pull it off at all. He was just like rolling around like Ryan McDonald fighting Stephen Thompson. Yeah, but, I was uh, really frustrated with that, and I wasn't sure if Elkins was super well prepared for it, which I'm sure they practiced for it, um, or if Ryan Hall was just being sloppy with it. But it looked just really ineffective. I was. I was. It I was did. Just, so he just stu- he just stood up and slapped Darren Elkins around for three rounds, which yeah, I don't think anybody expected it was so it was weird and like listen ryan hall's clearly a much improved much improved striker but that striking did not look good no it was effective to me it didn't it didn't look it was kind of amazing that he was landing it but it seemed more like elkins didn't see anything coming and wasn't defending at all ryan hall is in the rare position of a guy that truly genuinely does not mind being on his back and we've seen that a couple of times in mma history where an elite grappler who's happy to fight off of his back will throw kicks from a distance rather than throwing punches that can be countered. It's a really right. smart way for him to fight considering his limited athleticism, uh, limited fast twitch muscle fibers. He's not a guy that's going to explode and cover that distance and hit you with strikes and get out of the way. He's a guy that can land kicks at a distance, frustrate you to come in on him, which allows for him to either clinch or drop down for those legs. Um, it's, it is a weird style. It's odd because he dominated that fight, but then at the same time, Nick, there are literally – Probably uh, you could probably put together a thirty-second highlight of him just running away or flopping to his back from this fight, and and yeah, you, you, like you would think just seeing that thirty-second highlight that the guy's getting his ass whooped, but he wasn't. He did really well. Knocked him down, by the way, not only with a spinning heel kick, but hurt him with a, a right hand. Yes, Certainly, he did. Aaron Elkins is not as durable as he used to be, and he's significantly older with a lot of miles. But Ryan Hall. 
does hit fucking hard, man. Like, that's not something just anybody can do. I'd like to see... You know, I don't know what's going to happen with Edgar Holloway. We'll pick that in coming weeks. But I, if Edgar doesn't retire, if he loses that fight and doesn't retire, I'd like to see him fight um, either Hall or Feely. That's a fight that Hall would very would very happily take. The thing is that, like, I, I heard some of the Kenny Florian, John Anik podcast earlier today, Nick. And Kenny Florian's talking about, you know, all these guys are saying no to fights with Ryan Hall. Ryan Hall fights once every couple of years. He doesn't have any legitimate wins, and he's dangerous. Why would any of these top five guys want to fight the guy? Like, he brings nothing to the table. Well, he's got two this year now, and he wants to fight a third time. I feel like he's up. He's upping his schedule. Good. Um, uh, f- fight, fight, some, uh, fight some more top 15 guys and maybe a t- top 10 guy before you start, like, before you or your, or, your, or your trainer starts, you know, calling people out for not accepting a fight against you. Like, there's very little to gain. Get some wins make it worth worthwhile for them to take the risk and then they'll fight you. It's not that you're horribly scary. You're very dangerous on the floor, but it's not that you're so goddamn scary that nobody wants to fight you. It's that you bring nothing to the table. Like a win over you means nothing in these guys' careers. Why would Frank Edgar take a fight against Ryan Hall this late in his career? Unless yeah. he knows he can whoop that ass. You know what I mean? Like it's, it, it doesn't make sense for him. Uh, Jonathan well, the, Aldo would be funny though, because Aldo's a, Aldo is a Jits black belt himself. But we never we don't get to see him on the ground very much, and I can't I can't see Ryan Hall getting Aldo down, and yeah, I certainly can't see him engaging in a kickboxing bout with him. I don't know if Aldo would take the fight, but you're probably right in that Aldo's the most willing to fight these prospects of a lot of these top guys. He's happy to fight the prospects, but it's usually because he feels like he can beat those guys. He doesn't like to fight grapplers. If you give him a striker, he will let it go. Um, with Ryan Hall, I, I don't think he would let it go. And so I, I don't know if he would take the fight, but I, I would be very interested in that fight. That would be fascinating. We do have to talk quickly about Brianna Van Buren. We both call this one. I think we're the only MMA journalists, media members, podcast hosts that, that did. Very, very few people picked Brianna here. She dominated Livia Renata Souza. She's got championship material written all over her. The only downside is that she's five feet tall in a division where there are some girls at five foot seven, five foot eight. If she can make up for that discrepancy and continue to cover that distance the way that she did, continue to be the stronger fighter. She's a Daniel Cormier protege, as a matter of fact. She can do really big things in the division. Super impressed by Brianna Van Buren, a very serious prospect. And uh, Jonathan Martinez flattened uh, Pyongyang Lu when I finally pick a Chinese fighter. He gets absolutely wrecked. And uh, we don't really have to say anything about Benito Lopez, uh, Vince Morales, because it was a terrible decision and a really mediocre fight. No, I actually thought it was somewhat entertaining, but yeah, bad decision. I agree. We are going to take a break, Nick, and we're going to come back and talk about the upcoming UFC on ESPN4, where in the main event, Dos Anjos is fighting Leon Edwards. are back here to talk about UFC on ESPN4 this weekend where Rafael Dos Anjos goes up against Leon Edwards. Uh, we also got Alexei Olnik going up against Walt Harris in the co-main event. Not exactly a, a huge co-main event here, but there are some pretty solid names on the card. Uh, I think you mentioned earlier this week, Nick, that you kind of were familiar with a lot of these guys, which would limit your prep time, and, and I have to agree with that. 
Very interesting main event here, Nick. Uh, Rafael Dos Anjos who's coming off a pretty solid victory at welterweight against the former lightweight in Kevin Lee after losing to Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington is coming up here against a welterweight that's been looking really good for a while, but a welterweight that hasn't fought uh, guys like the, the I'm sorry, the, the guys that Rafael Dos Anjos has lost to recently. He hasn't fought Kumar Usman. Uh, Kumar Usman in several years. He hasn't fought Colby Covington yet. So much easier to be coming into this fight with a serious win streak. But having said that, he does have wins over Gunnar Nelson, Donald Cerrone, uh, Brian Barbonera, Vincente Luque, Albert, Albert Tumanov uh, in his last seven straight. So he's looking really good here. Going up against this pretty serious veteran that really only loses to the, the serious heavy pressure wrestlers. Can Leon Edwards' more timid style Get it done here, Nick. You know, Leon Edwards is favored. It's a close fight, but minus, five times has him at minus 120 and Dos Anjos at plus 100. I don't understand how Rafael Dos Anjos is not favored in this fight. He does not lose to kickboxers. He just doesn't. He beat, he beat Donald Cerrone. He beat Robbie Lawler. He's beat Nate Diaz. He has more kickboxer scalps. The only... Um, Kickboxer. He beat Tarek Sefadin, who I believe, who I personally think is a better kickboxer than Leon Edwards, um, at least technically. He loses to smothering wrestlers with a, with amazing strength and takedown. Yes, he did um, lose a very interesting fight to Tony Ferguson, who's kind of a, a mad, crazy scrambler who can do everything, and he lost to Eddie Alvarez, who's a good, a good, uh, very good wrestler who also has some fire uh, in his fists. And I, I happen to think that he caught Dos Anjos on a, on a bad night. Um, I don't, I really don't see much of a path of victory here um, for Edwards. It's not like he's been KOing guys. Um, Dos Anjos is incredibly durable, very versatile. And as we saw in the Kevin Lee fight, he's only gotten more uh, resourceful and keep and kept a cooler head as he's as he he's developed into more of a veteran. Um, I, I think RDA wins this fight um, e- either by submission after the third um, or by decision. I like it picking the uh, slight upset in the first in the main event in the first pick of the night. I like it, Nick. Now I had a really hard time with this matchup. Even as I watched tape, I had a really hard time with it because, as you alluded to. A lot of the style matchup factors favor Rafael Dos Anjos. He does tend to do really well against guys that don't pressure him because he pressures really effectively. Leon Edwards is not a pressure fighter. He's a guy that kind of stays in the back foot, waits for his opportunities, keeps you at range, uh, counters well. He will go for the takedown against the pressure fighters that he's fought, but Rafael Dos Anjos has good takedown defense against Very good wrestlers. Defense. Excuse me? Very good takedown defense, unless you're dealing yeah. with like, you know, NCAA champion level wrestling. Right. So, on paper, everything favors Rafael de Sanos. However, if you look at some of the other variables, I'm leaning Leon Edwards. Those variables are Leon Edwards is 27 years old and Rafael de Sanos is 34. Now, if Leon Edwards was a 27-year-old guy that didn't have a whole lot of UFC or high-level experience, I'd pick Dos Anjos 10 out of 10 times. But Leon Edwards has very high-level experience. He fought Kumar Usman years ago. Uh, he's beaten some really high-level guys, as I mentioned a little bit earlier on. On top of the fact that he's seven years younger, Nick, 
He has a six-inch height advantage, a four-inch reach advantage. He's got a five-inch leg advantage. Um, they're both southpaws, which presumably takes away uh, some of some of the kind of high likelihood that Dos Anjos lands his left hand with against orthodox fighters. Um, I know that Dos Anjos has been at the very top of the sport in this game for a long time, but I'm going to give the intangibles the edge here. I can absolutely see you being right, and I can absolutely see us talking next week about how this is the fight that turned it in your favor for this event. But I'm going to pick Leon Edwards because the man is 17-3, and and a good portion of those fights are in the UFC. He has fought some of the very best names in the sport and looked good, man. He's made some of them look really bad. He's worked through tough moments. Um, He recently got arguably TKO'd by uh, Jorge Masvidal, but that wasn't a sanctioned fight, Nick. I don't think that should count. So I'm picking Leon Edwards here with plenty of trepidation. I'm leaning on his size advantage, his youth, and the fact that he's got at least as much experience as Dos Anjos, not necessarily at the very highest level, uh, but overall. And he doesn't have nearly the miles. He hasn't taken nearly as much punishment. I'd like to remind you that Kevin Lee, who who Dos Anjos um, beat pretty pretty convincingly uh, and tapped out, is 26 years old. And Neil Magny, who we beat, uh, I think, a year or so ago, um, just as easily, is pretty long and rangy. So I, I hear you. I just, you're not, you haven't mentioned any problems that I think that Rafael Dos Anjos has had trouble with. You, you might be right. I just, I've doubted Rafael Dos Anjos before. And after his, uh, his last performance, I think he's got enough in the tank um, to beat, beat Leon Edwards, mostly because we got it. Javier Dos Anjos, I believe at some point in this fight, is going to be able to get him to the ground and English kickboxers get choked. The thing is that you make fair points about Dos Anjos having those wins over over somewhat similar uh, opponents. Kevin Lee is no Leon Edwards. Kevin Lee is... He's not a kickboxer, but he's young. Well, yeah, but he's one in three in his last last four bouts, and he's known for gassing. so, like, th- there's a stylistic element to that as well. Kevin Lee can't go five rounds hard. And the only way that you can beat Dos Anjos, ooh, I just kind of made a point in your favor, is by going hard. Maybe you're right. You, you do make good points. But, again, I, I will say, uh, I don't think that Kevin Lee and Neil Magny are almost untouchable like Leon Edwards has proven to be in, over the last several years. His last loss, um, only one of his two losses in the UFC, is to Kumar Usman. And he had a good round against him, if I remember correctly, one good round against him. This was back in 2015. I remember. Kumar has only improved since then. But Leon Edwards is gone. He's 7-0 and since then, Nick. And again, the names that he's beaten include Gunnar Nelson, Donald Cerrone, Brian Barbonera, Vincente Luque, Albert Tumanov. These are like really solid fighters uh, that he's beaten on the way up. I agree. Stylistically, Rafael Dos Santos should have this. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean Leon Edwards for the intangibles, for the size. For, 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 the, for the fact that he's a natural welterweight and the fact that he's significantly younger. Uh, having said that, I'm way less confident now than before I heard you make your argument. <laughs> so, um, co-main event, really, I mean, I think, I think this is prelim material. Um, the, next, the next two fights, both of them, I think, are prelim material. But um, the master of the anaconda choke, correct? Alexei Oleniak. It's actually the Ezekiel choke. Oh, I'm sorry, the Ezekiel choke. That's his special choke. Right. Um, my bad. Um, is taking on 
the powerful, the improved, the always sort of sloppy Walt Harris. What do you think? Uh, oh, well, uh, Harris is favored over um, Oleksi, who's coming off of a, a, a TKO loss to Alistair the Ream Overeem. Yeah, uh, Alexei Olenek is plus 130 and Walt Harris is minus 150, so it's a relatively close fight uh, according to the bookmakers. But you're right, Walt Harris is favored here. Walt Harris has actually done quite a bit of improving over the course of his UFC career. He's looked pretty solid in his last three bouts. He beat Andrei Arlovsky, even though I think that was turned into a no contest, maybe because of a marijuana bust, which is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Daniel Spitz, Andrei Arlovsky, Sergei Spivakar, his last three wins. Um, having said that, the last grappler he fought is Fabricio Verdum, and he got submitted in the first round. He took that fight on short notice, and I think his nerves were the bigger issue there than anything else. Now, Alexei Olenek, he's got excellent submission skills, but he's got the gas tank for about four minutes of serious, serious offense. Can he get Walt Harris out of there in those four minutes? Uh, I'm going to say yes. I can absolutely see Walt Harris's size and athleticism. Uh, just landing one huge shot in the first round or uh, kind of wearing on him over the course of a decision. But I'm going to pick Olenek to get the submission because he is so offensive and so dangerous in those first several minutes. Even when he fought Alistair Overeem in his last fight, he put like a good bit of drubbing on Overeem and rocked him at one point. The guy can hurt guys with his hands on top of the fact that he's ultra, ultra dangerous on the ground. Again, for only the first five minutes, I am picking Olenek, but with trepidation again. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little more confident than you, but I've got the same pick. I like uh, Olenek here, mostly because even though Harris has improved, he's incredibly athletic, he's very strong, Olenek is crafty, and you can't really you, you can't really teach crafty, I don't think, at Walt Harris's age. Um, so I think, I, I think at some point he's going to um, end up down on the ground, up against the cage, um, subsequently taken down, um, and that Alexi's going to wrap him up. I just think he's too, I think he's too crafty for Walt, and he Walt may land one or two things. He may hurt him. I I feel like he's felt that kind of power before, and he'll likely be able to to take and defend you know defend a few shots if he has to to get to get close to get his arms around him. And I think that Walt Harris is going to sleep. I'm I'm very surprised by these odds. It is close, but I'm I've got underdog picks in the main and co-main event. I'm guessing we've got a, bit, a little bit of a spoiler for your betting later on, Nick. I like it. A little so, bit of a spoiler. I may have a one-two punch parlay coming up. We'll see. Awesome. Yeah, we are in agreement on that one. We've got another fight coming up here between two guys who combined have won all of their fights by knockout, and neither neither fighter has ever been finished. Juan Adams is taking on Greg Hardy. Greg Hardy has a reputation on his own for being a terrible human being. Uh, Juan Adams is looking like a real prospect. Greg Hardy, you've got to call him a prospect too because he's a heavyweight who is super athletic and he's training with a really good team. So you, you do, I guess, have to consider him a prospect despite the fact that he's so very unlikable. But Juan Adams, pretty solid prospect coming off of his first loss against Arjan Bular. You and I both called that one, actually. It was a nice uh, betting win for me from... Uh, a couple of months back. Who do you favor in this one, Nick? That was a tough fight for Bular. That did not did not come easy. Um, this is an enormous step up in competition for Greg Hardy after his last fight um, where he took on, who was that guy? Dmitry Smolyakov. Right. Uh, I, 
man, this is too this is too mean mugs. I think I think Juan Adams is a tough big dude, and that I, I just have a feeling he's gonna he's gonna take it uh, he's gonna take it to Greg Hardy. That it'll be pretty even and pretty wild. Um, but in the second half of the first round, uh, Hardy's going to gas, have an adrenaline dump, and Adams is going to pound him out. Yeah. In his last fight against Dmitry Smolyakov, we were hoping to see whether or not Greg Hardy had improved over his abysmal performance against Alan Crowder in the fight before that. We didn't really get the chance to see that because Dmitry Smolyakov took a couple of semi-shots and went down and, and prayed for the referee to stop it. I will say, though, Greg Hardy looked in notably better shape. He looked like he had quite a bit less body fat on him in that fight, which leads me to believe that the American top team must have focused on his conditioning, must have focused on his cardio leading into that bout, realizing that that's the reason that Alan Crowder fight became so very competitive is because, as you alluded to, Greg Hardy blew his load in that first round. I am going to pick Juan Adams because I think he's the better prospect overall. He does have an inch of reach over Hardy. And Juan Adams has a wrestling pedigree, which is really the bigger factor. At the end of the day, when Greg Hardy fought Alan Crowder, we all expected him to run him over. Alan Crowder gave him a really tough fight, was able to take him down several times and actually keep him there. I think that Juan Adams is more capable of doing more than that. I do think Juan Adams is not great at holding guys down, which might be an issue here. Uh, Hardy's explosive enough to possibly get up once or twice. But I'm going to favor Adams. However, Hardy hits really fucking hard. So anything's possible. I'm glad the UFC is finally putting Hardy in a real matchup instead of giving him a bunch of tomato cans to run over, though. That part of it I appreciate. We've got James Vick coming off uh, of a competitive and good fight that he lost um, to the Irish Dragon. Uh, Paul Felder is taking on the, the very tough Kiwi Daniel Hooker, who's coming off his own loss where he got tenderized, one might say, by Edson Barbosa. Who do you got, Stan? Fascinating matchup between two of probably the tallest guys in the division. Both guys are known for their knockouts. As a matter of fact, 16 of Hooker's 17 wins have come by finish. Vic, who's looked really good in the UFC for the majority of his career, is 2-2 two two in his last couple. So a bit of a weird time for him, I think. I watched tape and initially thought James Vic was going to take this based on the fact that his overall UFC record is more consistent, even though he's been kind of treading water lately. After watching more tape on Daniel Hooker, though, I, I ended up signing with him, Nick. And one of the main reasons is that in his last bout, James Vick was beat up to one extent or another by Paul Felder. And it was mostly with those calf kicks, Nick. Those played a big factor. And Daniel Hooker, he throws those same low leg calf kicks. I can see James Vick, who, by the way, complained in between rounds a couple of times to his corner in that fight. I believe that'll, that'll mess with James Vick once those kicks start flowing. On top of that, I think Daniel Hooker knows that he needs to pressure a fighter like James Vick. And you can tell because he's pressured guys like Mark Diacasi in the past, guys like Gilbert Burns, who, you know, if you pressure him enough and make him expend enough energy early, you can finish him shortly thereafter. That worked out for him fairly well. Didn't work for him to pressure Edson Barboza because Edson Barboza was way faster. Nan Hooker made the mistake of just going kick for kick for, with him early in the bout. Not the best recipe if you want to win over Edson Barboza. I'm picking Daniel Hooker here. I can absolutely see James Vick catching an uppercut or a right hand as a counter with his back against the fence as Daniel Hooker is pressing forward. I can also see James Vick maybe going for some heavy body kicks to remind Daniel Hooker of the nightmare 
that he went through in his last bout against Edson Barboza. I'm going with Hooker here because of some of the finer details in the tape that I watched, even though I do think James Vick on paper should be able to win the bout. Yeah, I think this is very close to a pick em. I think the next bout is maybe even closer, but this was a this is a very, very tough one um, to pick. And I gotta go I've gotta go with Hooker mostly because I've seen I feel like I've seen Vic crumble under less duress uh, than than Hooker. Um, and he just feels a little bit – he was a little tentative um, against Felder. I think uh, it's going to take him longer to shake the cobwebs of that Gagey knockout. I don't think he took enough time between getting knocked out by Justin Gagey and taking the fight against Paul Felder. Um, so I think this could go either way, but I'm, I'm picking Daniel Hooker. Next up, we've got Alexander Hernandez going up against Francisco Trinaldo. This is another kind of old guard versus new guard fight in which we have a young prospect who faltered for the first time in his UFC career recently in Alexander Hernandez against Donald Cerrone going up against Francisco Trinaldo, who has overall done really well in the UFC. He's got a pretty tricky style. But he has been looking a little bit more his age lately. The guy is 40 years old after all. Uh, he's 2-2 two and two in his last four with losses to Kevin Lee and James Vick. Not exactly losses to be ashamed of here, Nick. Alex Hernandez is a minus-175 favorite uh, over Francisco Trinaldo, plus-155. Who do you have in this one, Nick? Anything can happen in the first round here. I expect, uh, to your point, uh, Trinaldo is a veteran. I think he's only going to get a little bit longer in the tooth with each fight. And I think Hernandez, uh, coming off that loss to the veteran Cerrone, uh, probably went back um, went back to the drawing board. And I expect him to come back um, extremely technical and to fight a, a, a smart, uh, maybe cautious a little bit first round and uh, come out guns, guns blazing for a, fin- a likely finish in the, in the second. I think we're going to see um, a reborn Alexander Hernandez here. I hope you're right because he's a prospect that I had my eye on leading into that Donald Cerrone fight a few months ago. I'm agreeing with you about Alexander Hernandez as the pick here. But I do have some trepidation because Francisco Trinaldo hits really hard. He's a southpaw. And he's got fairly solid jiu-jitsu on top of that. So he's kind of got a couple of danger points here for a guy like Hernandez, who is pretty aggressive, and he can walk into that giant left hand of Trinaldo. Certainly. Um, I'm going to favor Hernandez's pressure, though, because I think that's exactly the kind of thing that would make Trinaldo tired. Uh, Trinaldo's super dangerous in the first round. He wins most of his first rounds because he's explosive and athletic and fast at that point. But that runs out quickly, and I think his age is a factor there. Um, he's usually pretty exhausted by the second or third round if he even gets to a third round. So I'm going to pick Alexander Hernandez. I'm not as confident in the finish, uh, but it's certainly possible if he gets a third round TKO. Uh, I'd imagine the first half of the bout should be pretty uh, pretty competitive with Hernandez running away with it toward the very end. Next, we've got uh, a battle of heavyweight veterans, guys that were around uh, really before the UFC became the UFC. Um as we know it following, you know, the first season of Tough. But Andre Arlovsky, still around, still hanging in there. And although he hasn't really been rocking up the wins, 
He certainly hasn't been embarrassing himself. Um, he's looked pretty good. He just seems to get, uh, you know, he's been getting outpointed uh, a couple, got finished a couple of times, lost a split decision uh, the last time out that I remember thinking was a little wonky. Um, you know, lost a series of decisions, won some decisions. He hasn't been in a fight uh, that had a finish um, since he got flattened by Nganu a couple of years ago. So uh, he's still, you know, still doing his thing. He's 40 years old um, at heavyweight. I don't know if he's going to be around the UFC much longer. He's taken on Ben Rothwell, who's uh, one fight back um, from a, a very long drug suspension following his loss to Junior Dos Santos. He came back and lost a, a spirited bout against uh, Ivanov, uh, who's, who looked terrific in his own, pre, his own last fight. Um, I just think... I think Rothwell's got more left in the tank and, frankly, more ways to score points. Um, he doesn't get knocked out. So I don't see Arlovsky still having the fire to to KO him. Uh, what do you think is going to go down? Yeah, I agree with you on this pick. Um, I'm fairly confident in Rothwell, except for the fact that Arlovsky, even when he does lose these decisions, they're more often than not close decisions. Some of them are split decisions, as was the case in his last bout against Augusto Sakai. It seems like these guys are beating him, but he's just crafting his way to tricking the judges or convincing the judges that he's in there, that he's doing well. So that could be a factor here. Ben Rothwell's not quite as aggressive as he was when he was back on that winning streak, beating Brandon Vera, Alistair Overeem, Matt Mitrione, Josh Barnett, leading into that decision loss to Junior Dos Santos back in 2016. So that could be a little bit of a factor, but I can also see Arlovsky taking advantage of that aggression potentially. I'm picking Rothwell. Uh, he's the bigger man. He's more durable. He's at a better point in his career, and a lot of people, even though I disagree, a lot of people thought that he deserved that decision over Blagoj Ivanov, who's proving to be a top flight heavyweight. I'm picking Ben Rothwell here. I'm in agreement with you. One quick thing to note. This no. is actually a rematch from 11 years ago. At affliction right. one, Arlovsky knocked him out in the third round. Yeah, good point. This is a rematch, and I expect Ben Rothwell to get his revenge. Next up, we've got Alex Caceres going up against Steven Peterson. If you look at these guys' records, they're not exactly something to write home about. Caceres is 14-12. Steven Peterson is 17-8. 14-12 sounds worse, but most of that 14-12 happened in the UFC for Caceres. Caceres is a minus-155 favorite. Steven Peterson, plus-135 underdog. Who do you have, Nick? Yeah, real quick on this one. I just I think Bruce Leroy has just faced much much tougher competition, and he has a couple of he has a couple of signature wins like choking out Sergio Pettis. Um, Steve, uh, Stevenson doesn't have anything like that on his uh, on his dossier um, or resume rather. So I uh, I'm gonna go with Bruce. I'm gonna go with Bruce Leroy here uh, with with some confidence. He he does a lot. He can do a lot of stupid stuff in fights. Um, he's not a very, you know, strategic fighter. You're never going to, uh, see him accused of playing chess in the cage, but I feel like he should be athletic enough and that, and crafty enough to get it done. If, uh, if not by, um, rear naked choke, then by decision. So this one, I, to be honest, I wasn't really super interested in really looking into and researching. I wasn't excited about watching the fights. They turned out to be interesting and they turned out to be revealing when I did, um, Peterson hasn't been finished for six years. Caceres is two and four in his last six bouts. Granted, they're against UFC-level competition. Um, 
Peterson isn't exactly killing in the UFC either with a now, I think, a one and two record in the promotion. But his losses are a decision to Brandon Davis. I think that maybe he was a last minute uh, kind of replacement for that one. And and then uh, he lost a competitive decision to Luis Pena, who's a pretty solid prospect. Somebody to look forward to in the near uh, kind of to be in the top 10 in the near future here. I'm going to favor Stevenson for his pressure and the fact that Alex Caceres is very comfortable being on his back and just kind of hanging out there and looking for submissions round after round, even though he's losing rounds. I do think this is probably going to be a super close decision, and I think this could be another fight that decides uh, the competition between us. But again, I, I got to favor Peterson's pressure. I just think he's a younger guy who's still, even, you know, despite the fact that he's got a spotty record, is still learning, is still improving. Uh, from what I from what I understand is with a pretty decent team in Fortis MMA. So I'm going to favor him over Alex Caceres, who I don't think is really that passionate about the sport, to be honest with you. No, well, you may be right there, but I, I, I hope I'm, <laughs> I hope I'm right. Um, next, we got an interesting one. Irene Aldana versus Rocky Pennington, uh, who recently fought for the strap. Uh, what, do you, what do you got going on here? Yeah, Rocky Pennington, man, she's been looking really listless. Uh, yeah, I agree. Fights against Nunez and Durandami. Um, she got finished by Nunez in the fifth round after really kind of getting beat up. Like, she couldn't get anything going. And she tried on multiple occasions. She really tried, um, especially in the first half of that bout. And then against Durandami, she, she could get even less going. But then Durandami and Amanda Nunez are really good at this shit. Durandami, they are. Durandami is ranked just below Amanda Nunes, who is number one in this division and another division. So I, I guess the question is, like, has she lost her passion? Is she the same person? Her last one was against Misha Tate in Misha Tate's retirement bout, in which Misha Tate looked pretty listless. Um, and then a couple of wins before that weren't exactly against high-level competition, Elizabeth Phillips and Betch Correa. Um, I did have a hard time with this one initially. I picked Arena Aldana because she presents very much the same issues that Raquel was presented with in her last bout against Jermaine Durandamy. But I feel like Jermaine Durandamy is a higher level fighter than Arena Aldana, probably by a good margin. She's really fucking good standing up, and she is incredibly hard to take down. And she hits super hard, too. I think probably harder than Aldana, who, by the way, again, really, really good stand up, really good boxing, good pressure game, excellent jab. I'm going to pick Pennington here because I'm riding on the fact that she fought two of the best female fighters in the division by far, and that's why she looked so bad. And, and I'm hoping that it's not because she is a fraction of her former self. But then again, her, her record is 9-7. and seven. Was she ever really that great? I don't know. I'm kind of talking myself out, to it, uh, out of it, but I'm going to pick Raquel Pennington here to maybe score a takedown or two, uh, uh, maybe counter some of – uh, Arena Aldana's jabs, which she's going to throw lots of. I'm hoping Pennington comes in here prepared because I'm picking her. Tough one. I just the look she had in her in her eye the last couple times out. You you described it. Just seemed kind of like listless. I don't feel like I've seen a lot of fighters come back for that from that. Aldana's on a win streak. I think she's gonna. I think she's gonna bring the thunder, and um, we'll see. I have a feeling Pennington right now is in the same place that KK's been in. And uh, that, that we're going to see her not really fight up to the potential that we were used to um, when she looks so crisp and, and good against Tate. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if you're right. Uh, I, I'm just, again, I'm banking on the fact that she's still a damn good fighter who just fought 
two women who are way, way better, and pro- probably two women that are way, way better than everyone in the division. Uh, at least retrospectively, that's what it looks like. Um, next up, we've got Sam Alvey going up against Clinton Abreu. Alvey is a UFC veteran, a record of 33-12 and 12 overall against Abreu, who's 14-3. and three. Uh, Abreu actually lost his UFC debut against a pretty – a pretty serious prospect. Um, so not a whole lot to be ashamed of in, in losing there. Predominantly, I believe a jujitsu guy. Um, and he's likely going to have the, the edge on the ground here. The question is, can he take Sam Alvey down? Sam Alvey generally, it doesn't throw a whole lot, but he just waits for the opportunity to land a big counter shot. And he hits so goddamn hard with that right hook that it does take most guys out. Uh, Orso takes risks and goes in there. So I, I actually think this is a, an interesting matchup that could go either way. Who do you have in this one, man? Uh, I've got Clitson Abreu. I just don't – Alvy seemed, seemed off his, his last couple times out. Um, I don't know a lot about Abreu, but I, um, I just don't think it's – all you have to do is not get hit by, that, uh, by the big shot. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Although Abreu's style, the way that he wades in, I can certainly see him getting hit with a few big shots. But in his last fight, in the very first round, um, he had his nose badly and visibly broken against Magomed Ankalaev. And he just kept fighting like it didn't matter, like it didn't happen. Uh, I appreciate that. I, I think maybe he can take Sam Alvey's counter shot and survive to just stay busier and possibly score a takedown or two, especially late when Sam Alvey's tired for a decision victory. Having said that, I wouldn't be surprised if Sam Alvey crafts his way to another weird, odd, slow decision win here. So, um, so you're picked to Breu. Yes, sir. Okay. Next up, we've got uh, another uh, re- another rematch. Um, after you know, we had Arlovsky Rothwell. Here we've got Jennifer Maya in her third UFC fight after coming in from Invicta against Roxanne Mataferi, who um, Maya beat in a very close fight. I can't remember if it was a split decision. I think it was a split decision. Um, it, it, or at the very least, it was extremely close. Uh, five-rounder yeah. um, a couple of years back. Really terrific fight. Uh, and so they're going to play it back since Liz Carmouche, uh, who was originally in this bout, got pulled so she can throw down with Valentina Shevchenko. Uh, you know who I'm going to have in this fight, Stan Dryev. Uh, who do you have? I, I know that you're all about uh, Jennifer Maya. Uh, oh, just, just kidding. We, we, we both know you are a huge Roxanne Madison fan, and for good reason. As a matter of fact, uh, my wife is too. Can't blame her. She's just so goddamn likable, Nick. And on top of that likability over the last few years, she's put a lot of technique into her game. Uh, training with Syndicate, I think, has done a lot of wonders for her versus training out in Japan with a bunch of probably pro wrestlers. Having said that, her record is 2-3 and three in the last five. Those losses, though, are to Eubanks twice, who is a really solid fighter at the division or the division above at this point, and Nico Montano, who, again, really solid fighter at 125, who now is one weight division above. Um, I watched some some of that some of her five round title fight with Jennifer Maya, and it was competitive. Um, I think that she's made tremendous improvements. Roxy has ever since 2016 when she fought Maya, and I think there are improvements that would allow for her to get more of those takedowns, especially certainly enough takedowns in a three rounder. Jennifer Maya doesn't have very good takedown defense. She's got really good stand up, 
And even there, I think that Roxy should be able to land some. Um, I do see uh, a good likelihood that this will be a competitive, close fight. Uh, Jennifer Maya doesn't suck by any means. But I'm favoring Ma Roxy Montefiore's uh, takedown and top game uh, here. I think stylistically, Jennifer Meyer's takedown defense really sucks. And Montefiore, with the help of the syndicate uh, coaching, should be diligent about those takedowns in top position. So I'm picking her next. Great. Oh, well, yeah, you know I'm going to have Roxy, um, but this isn't just a, a pick on faith. Listen, I thought Maya, after looking fairly listless and weak against Karmush, and maybe that's just because, um, you know, Karmush is, is, what does she call herself? She the calls, gorilla. The yeah, gorilla. that's what I thought. She's, because she's the gorilla, um, was, was just too strong for her. But against Alexis, uh, Alexis Davis, um, she looked... Uh, way way stronger um and she had good uh good snappy striking uh, i just think roxy doesn't make mistakes anymore when the last couple of fights that she's lost has been purely in moments where um technique is fairly even and she gets out muscled i don't think jennifer maya is strong enough um to out muscle roxy I think she is going to get those top positions. I think that she could um, potentially finish this fight with elbows if she if she's able to get her back um, or get into side control uh, or get mount uh, for that matter. Um, her elbows have looked really good. I do think it'll I think it'll be a good fight, but I, I got a feeling that Rocky's that Roxy's going to win her second UFC bout in a row. Um, they're very good friends. They get along really well. So this is going to be one of those fights where, you know, whatever happens, I think they'll both be, um, you know, pretty good sports about it. But I'm, uh, I'm picking uh, my girl, Roxy Mataferi. There with you, Nicola. And next up, we've got Ray Borg, a veteran of the division, someone that's fought for the title, uh, going up here against a UFC debutante in Gabrielle Silva who from the tape I've watched is predominantly a, a, a striker who will get those takedowns when he needs them. Borg lost his last fight to a debuting prospect who is known for being a good striker and getting those takedowns when he needs it. But I'm sure it's not that simple here, Nick. Who do you have? I thought that was kind of a baloney decision. I did too. Uh, so uh, I've, got, I've got Borg. He's, he was so pissed off. He's got so much to prove. He's had such a, a hard couple of years that if he can keep uh, keep his focus and not lose his cool, uh, I think this is his fight to lose. Yeah, I thought that that fight against Casey Kenny, um, I I pointed out that Casey Kenny was going to make this a really hard fight for Ray Borg, and he did in that first round. I thought he clearly beat Borg in that first round, but Borg uh, more like out hustled and out out strategized him more than anything else by just putting the right kind of pressure on him at the right moments to win enough points in the judges' scorecards to win the second and third rounds. I thought so anyway. Unfortunately, those judges, I, I think maybe the momentum of that first round for Kenny uh, kind of played in their heads, and they, and they ended up giving the decision to Kenny. I think it was a unanimous one, too, too which is uh, kind of odd. This time, I, I expect Bork, who's really an excellent, excellent top-flight uh, flyweight, I expect him to come in and do his thing against the prospect. I don't think this is as high a level of a prospect, although I do think this kid is good, uh, Gabriel Silva. I expect Borg to probably get a submission in the second half of the bout. So the uh, the next fight's a really interesting one because we've got two prospects 
each coming off of losses to other prospects. Uh, Mario Bautista is coming off of a first-round submission loss to Corey Sanhagen. Uh, Jin Su uh, Sun is coming off of, it was a while ago now, but um, a decision loss in a pretty wild fight against uh, Peter, uh, Peter Jan. Uh, both of those guys, um, Sanhagen, who recently beat Lineker, and Jan, who recently beat Jimmy Rivera, uh, are on the fast track. Uh, could end up throwing down with each other soon. Uh, but what are you thinking about Bautista versus Sun, one of the Korean Zombies teammates? Yeah, to your point, both guys had some pretty rough UFC debuts. I think maybe both were on short notice, where Mario Bautista had to go up against Corey freaking Sanhagen, who's you know, looking really good in the UFC and undefeated thus far. Uh, and Jin Su Sun had to go against Peter Yan, who's looking really good in the UFC and undefeated so far. So definitely, you know, no favors by the UFC here in their debuts. And they're going up here against each other. I think I think maybe this is a fair fight for both guys where they're both on the about the same level. They both could have together uh, headlined a lower-level card, a, a kind of a, a local card. I'm going to favor Jin Su Sun, who really had a really fun fight with Yan, looked really good in there. He took the fight on short notice and kind of tapered off as the fight went on and got more and more tired. But he did really well against Yan. He was able to land some solid strikes. He took a bunch of strikes and really well, like strikes that a lot of guys maybe would have been knocked down by. He just smiled at him and pressed forward. He continually pressed forward, Nick. And anytime that Peter Yan would really commit to some offense with his strikes, uh, Sun did a really good job of shooting right under, timing his takedowns beautifully to put Yan on his back, and that's a big part of what made this uh, that fight very competitive. Having said that, Batista, you know, he was somewhat competitive with Sanhagen until the very end there, where uh, in the in the first round this was, but where Sanhagen caught that submission finish. I am picking Jin Su Sun. Um, I can see Batista doing his thing here, winning a decision, but this the 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 timing on the takedowns. The fact that he trains with the Korean Zombie and, quite frankly, has the durability of Korean Zombie and the fact that he's really solid standing up, even though he has this weird leaning forward striking style, which I find to be odd, um, I, I feel like that actually increases the, the power of your opponent when you get hit. I am picking Jin Soo Sun here for a fun, scrappy fight. Yeah, I'm picking Sun also. Um, I just like the way that he looks. He's athletic. I love his takedowns. And... Unless Jan has gotten way, way stronger, um, those same shots that floored Jimmy Rivera were uh, bouncing off Sun's chin, and yeah. he was he was eating them like candy, and then smiling. He was a he looked crazy, crazy guy. Uh, I just think I think he's a tough dude. Um, I think he's athletic and versatile, and that he's gonna have his way with Bautista. Yeah, uh, another uh, southpaw versus orthodox matchup. It's actually something I, I forgot to mention throughout. There's a bunch of southpaws on this card, a lot more lefties than you would normally see on just a random uh, boxing or MMA card. This is another one of those matchups between a southpaw, Domingo Pileta, going up against Felipe Diaz Corrales. Both guys, uh, I actually believe one of these guys is making his UFC debut. Um, Pilerta actually fought in Dana White's Contender Series and beat Vince Morales, who's a really good fighter and has been in the UFC since and actually competed last week, got screwed on a decision. Whereas uh, Corrales did make his UFC debut, he fought Geraldo DeFratis and lost a uh, decision. 
Who do you have in this one, Nick? In this fight, I've got uh, Pilardi. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you there. I thought Philippe Corrales didn't look so good in, in his USC debut. Um, he just, like, everything he was trying didn't seem to be that effective, and he was mounted at one point, and he's supposed to be in the jiu-jitsu black belt. Uh, I like Polarita, who survived a rough first round against Vince Morales on that contender series to come back and submit him in the second round. We've seen Vince Morales compete several times since, and he's not the kind of guy that people just come back and submit. So really impressive uh, comeback, even though I'm a little bit concerned about his first-round performance there. Uh, Pilarte should have a good size advantage. He's a tall guy at six feet tall, fighting at 135 pounds. I'd imagine he's probably the if uh, one of the tallest, if not the tallest, in the division going up here against the 5'9", Philippe Corrales. Uh, we have the same pick here as well, Nick. We're going to take our final break and come back, talk about last week's betting. Both Nick and I had successful nights. We're also going to get into our bet recommendations. talk about the betting last week was a pretty good one for me overall i recommended a straight bet on aspen lad who at minus 160 looked like a good deal to me boy was i wrong so we lost 50 on that one uh, i recommended a big bet on ryan hall at minus 115 i really believed in his chances of winning that bout against elkins and uh, i recommended 100 bucks on him at minus 115 and that was an 87 dollar win we've got Cesar Ferreira at plus 130. I recommended that, and that was a bad one as well. That's another $50 loss. I did recommend Juliana Pena at minus 200, 50 bucks on her, which netted us $25. And I recommended a bet on Brianna Van Buren, who I really believed in, versus Souza at minus 130, $50, netted us $38.46. So all told for the straight bets. $50.50 up. I did also recommend a parlay on Ryan Hall and Pena. The combined odds for Hall at minus 115 and Pena at minus 200 came out to plus 180. Bet $50 to win $90.22. That sounds pretty darn good to me. I also recommended a parlay on Aspen Ladd and Ricky Simone. That one blew for me. That's 50 bucks down. Uh, all in all, $40.22 up for the parlay portion of the betting. Um, I also recommended two more bets, which I call my value bets. They're maybe I don't believe in the fighters, but I do think the odds suggest a good value. So I recommended $10 on Uriah Faber at plus 315, and that's a $31.50 win. I recommended $10 on Tuman, who fought Robertson. That was actually a super close decision, so it was a warranted bet, but that's a loss of 10 bucks, a total of $21.50 up for our value bets. A total profit of $112.18, Nick. That's 19% return on investment. 19% is quite a bit lower than my usual. I think I'm around 40 45% normally, but I will take a win. How did you do, Nick? Uh, I did pretty well. I had uh, two straight bets each for $25. I bet $25 on Fajaya that I lost, and I bet $25 on Hall that I won. So they, those more or less evened out. But I had a successful parlay where I picked underdog Josh Emmett and pick him fighter uh, Andre Feely to win. And the parlay paid off uh, handsomely. I think you had the, the exact dollar amount. 
you made uh, $21.74 on Hall. You actually only bet 15 bucks on Pereira, so that was a little bit of a profit there. But oh, okay. the big one was that you made $92 on the Parlay Nick, which put you at a total gain of 98 bucks, uh, which is nice. I think this is your first winning betting week. And I believe this is going to be the first of many because you're refining your style. And, and like I feel like you used to invest in these big parlays of a bunch of underdogs that you believe in, mind you. But still, it's super risky. One of those guys is, is going to slip on a banana peel at least. You're kind of diversifying your portfolio, if you will, and it's working out. I'd love to see it. Uh, so what do you have lined up for Dos Anjos Edwards? I see some opportunity for, for this weekend as well. I recommend a straight bet on Leon Edwards at minus 120. I recommend putting $30 on Edwards to win 25 bucks. I recommend putting a straight bet on Juan Adams at minus 115, who's going up against Greg Hardy. I recommend putting 35 bucks on that one to potentially win $30. Also, Ben Rothwell at minus 185. I'm a big believer in his chances of winning this bout. So I recommend a $93 bet to win 50 at minus 185 odds. I also recommend a bet on Raquel Pennington at plus 135. I just feel like she's fought at really, really high level for a while now. And yes, she got beat up by two of the best fighters in the world, but she didn't get finished. Um, she, well, actually, she did. I'm sorry, but Amanda knew that she got finished in the fifth round. She didn't get finished. She didn't get smoked like a lot of these other girls do when they fight Durand to me and Amanda Nunes. So uh, I do like Pennington's chances here at plus 135. I recommend putting $37 on her in order to win 50. Also, Roxanne Modafari at plus 110 against a girl with back take, bad takedown defense, who there's already tape of Roxanne Modafari taking her down. I'm going to take that bet. 28 bucks to win 31 on Roxanne Modafari. I also have some parlay uh, suggestions here. I recommend putting together Ben Rothwell and Ray Borg, who I think both are fairly likely to win their respective bouts. Now, combined, they make for a parlay of plus 116. And if you're giving me those two fighters a plus odds with these matchups, I will take it all day. I recommend putting $70 down to win potentially 81 in profit. I also recommend a parlay on Pilarte and Susan plus 100 combined, which I think is pretty darn good. Individually, Susan is minus 200 favorite and Pilarte is a minus 300 favorite. So plus 100 is pretty good. I recommend putting $30 on that parlay to win 30. Uh, Nick, uh, hoping for another successful week when it comes to the money how about you bro yeah we our bets are are somewhat aligned as the big fan favorite sentimental here i'm gonna put a, a fat c note on roxy um i'm putting 200 dollars in play overall 100 on her uh two more straight bets 25 dollars each on ben rothwell and juan adams and then i'm rolling with a 50 dollar parlay of the main event and co-main event picking the two underdogs rda and leniak of the ezekiel choke let me ask you an important question here. Uh, what the hell is a C-note? $100. Come on, baby. Okay. No, I like it. Nick, Nick, I wish I would have been smooth enough to not have to ask that question, but I am not that man. I was Jesus, born in the Soviet you... goddamn... This is my third, maybe fourth language, Nick. You grew up in Queens, man. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I did Queens. But I was born in the Soviet Union, Nick. Come on. You gotta count for something. You're a kid. Wasn't, cool. the Soviet, wasn't the Soviet Union gone when you were born? No, it was actually uh, the reason we were able to move to the country uh, to, to leave uh, Uzbekistan is because the Soviet Union basically collapsed. What year were you born? I was born in 85. Oh, okay. I had you. The, the collapse, depending had, on what history. Years younger. Yeah, yeah the, the collapse, depending on what historian you ask, um, happened between like 89 and 90. 
Well, I guess. I, I, I remember. I was old. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you were not old. How old you were you in 91? 91, I was 15. You were 15, and I was 6 years old. Good times. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>